0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, if you're brand new, I am Tyler. Welcome to Sundays. Come on now. Ooh, second week. You came back. I'm so happy. You never know. Are they going to come back? They came back. Um, you know, we've just been all over the place the last year and a half, so it just it's nice to have a home for Uh, a season. We could be here for a while and I'm excited about that. Our Mission HQ, our headquarters are across the street, so that's kind of exciting too. So our office is right across the street now too. Um, But this morning, I am in a series titled, What's the Big Deal? Let me just share the heart real quick. Uh, I, I believe that there are things that we have to fight to keep at the top of the list. And throughout the Bible, there are these things that God values that we're supposed to value. But if I could be honest, as we live life and life gets busy and we have work and we have things to run our kids to and we have all these other things, what happens is that the things God told us to guard and treasure and to live out, they sometimes get dropped to the bottom of the list. This series, I'm trying to get them back to the top of the list. So what's the big deal? Prayer. Prayer should be at the top of the list. You should be praying all the time before you go to, uh, go to work. You should pray first. So, so we're praying like crazy. So I talked about what's the big deal? Prayer. Um, I also talked about uh, what's the big deal? church. Like, church isn't the bottom of the list. It should be at the top of the list. It should be something that you guard and value and treasure. Leadership. Like, you are a leader. Like, you should not see yourself as a follower. We do not allow culture to lead us. We lead culture. But today, my uh, time, my message, what's the big deal? Community. uh, I think is one of the, it's like, We all know the word community. It's it's not a sexy term, community. If you're looking for like a if you're like looking to be inspired and you're like sermons on YouTube, you're like ooh, what do I want to do? If it just said sermon on community, you'd be like boring. Uh, It's not going to grab you right away. But I'm going to submit to you that as I read scripture and I present the biblical case that not only is community important, but it's one of the greatest things that you could value, treasure, and live out. Does that sound good? All right, let's get to business. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 92, 12 through 14. It's a famous verse. I'm going to uh, break it down for you. The righteous will flourish like palm trees. What's a palm tree? What does it look like to flourish like a palm tree? It's saying that when storms come, have you ever seen palm trees in wind? They just laugh at the wind. You ever seen them in a storm, hurricanes? They just laugh at the hurricane. Like, (laughs) you're adorable hurricane. You're being so adorable right now. Your 100 mile per hour winds. I'm a palm tree. I don't. I I don't get blown over. What this is saying is that you're going to go through storms. You're going to go through valleys. You're going to go through a pandemic but you're a palm tree, you're gonna flourish still in the midst of a pandemic. What a promise from the word of God that we don't only flourish in good days, but we can flourish in bad seasons. And so that's the first promise to us. They will grow like cedars of Lebanon. I just love Christianese verses, you're like, what does that even mean? That's why you got a Bible teacher here for you, okay, you ready? Let me break it down for you. I did the legwork. So the cedars of Lebanon, when Solomon was building the temple, there was the best wood that you could pick, the best of the best. It was the cedars of Lebanon, and it, it was pleasing to the eye. It had a great smell, and it was durable. What it's saying is, is that you will grow to the best version of yourself. What a promise to be said, that, that your attitude, your being, who you are as a person, that you will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Man, I don't know about you, but I cannot stand being around somebody with a bad attitude. And Bad attitudes are like a bad smell. And our essence, who we're supposed to be as Christians, the essence of who we are, it's supposed to be like the cedar of Lebanon. It's a promise for us. So, so I, I don't know about you, but do you want to be the best version of yourself? Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. And then would you want to flourish in good seasons and bad seasons? Yes. Yeah. Well, it tells you how to do that. And here's the answer. Ready? You got to be planted. Planted in the house of the Lord. I presented this case last week. The house of the Lord is not a building. It's, it's God's people. It's a community of people. Yeah. We are the house of God. It's not this thing. This thing will be empty tomorrow. It's right now what's happening. It's what happens in small groups. So, so you've got to be planted in, in, in community of God. You cannot have the fullness of, of life without being planted in the community of God. So it's being planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Come on now. Now let, let's, uh, let's break this down real quick. So there's this rhythm in the Bible that talks about soil and being planted. You'll Google planted verses. They're everywhere in the Bible. Jeremiah, you name it. Well, the Bible tells us to value of the soil where we plant our lives. also tells us to plant our lives. Now, it's interesting because our culture doesn't show us to plant anything anymore. Our culture tells us to shop for everything. We don't plant, we shop. So we shop for groceries, we shop for community. We, we, we don't plant for friendships, we shop for friendships. But the reality is, is community has to come from planting, not from shopping. And so, I think you got to find a church where you feel like you fit and God's knitted you, but once you're there, you got to plant in that house, and then you got to get relationship. So um, I love Napa. Anybody else love Napa? My people. Who doesn't like Napa? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to see it. I want to hear about it right now. All right, don't talk about Napa that way. I love me some Napa, all right? So Napa, Maui, and Tahoe are my top three places where I feel like when I go there, I just get more relaxed. Life is good. I just sit there. If I'm in Maui, I'm just like, well, God's good. I love my life. Tahoe, same thing. Napa, I'm like, oh, life's so good. Those three places. I love it. I, I just something about it just slows me down. Well, if you know anything about Napa, Napa is famous for wine. Now I'm not saying I drink wine, but if I did, I'd be a cab guy. Okay? <laughs> not saying I do, but if I did, I would drink cab. And if I did drink cab, I'd maybe be a member of like Hall Winery around, but I'm just saying if I did. Uh, but I'm not saying I am, I'm saying if, you, if I were a wine guy and you were a wine person also, and you wanted to go to a winery with Rachel and I, we might go with you, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> but being from Napa 45 minutes, there's just something about this amazing place with the best wine in the world. People from all around the world come to Napa. Why does it have the best wine? Because they decided, hey, we should just have the best grapes here. Did so they just decide it out of the blue? Was well, it because there's some nice little um, ridges and there's a little valley? Now, did you know that Napa, let me break this down real quick, I'm gonna to try to make sure I condense this. So there's hundreds of soils in the world, all types of different soils, clay, short soil, flat soil, um, rocky soil, there's hundreds. Did you know Napa has half of the world's soil just in Napa? That's like a miracle, it makes no sense. So half of the soil in all the world, like different types, you can find half of them in Napa. That's why you got Pinot Noir, that's why you got Merlot. That's why you got the Zinfandel, come on now. That's why you got the Chardonnay. Um, and again, Cab. Anyways. Um, now, winemakers understand this in Napa. There's so many things why. There's, there's, there, there was volcanic ash that made the minerals of the soil. But there are different places, and not all soils are created equal. There's some soils that are, if you want to buy the grapes from that place... It's because the soil there, the way the the, um, ash fell on it and the way the nutrients stayed there, it makes the best cab grapes in all the world. So if you want to plant that vineyard, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then you're going to be able to charge $300 to $1,000 for a bottle of cab. It's like the Beckstoffer Vineyard. It's been there since the 1400s. It's a famous vineyard. So winemakers understand the importance of soil if you want the best cab, They're just not gonna go plant uh, a vineyard in my backyard and say, oh, it's gonna be a great cab." No, no, the soil affects the grapes. So if we can learn from this quick illustration, Psalm 92 saying that the soil is gonna affect your life. So if you don't plant in a house, uh, a church, it's gonna affect your life. You plant in a bad church, it's gonna affect your life. I've had to ask myself this as a pastor. So it says those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. So if people in our house aren't flourishing, what are we doing as leaders that aren't helping them flourish? So we're always asking ourselves, what what else can we do? Okay, We we should add more prayer. Okay, we gotta make sure that small groups, it's so easy to get in a small group. Basically, the the job for the church, and you'll see this in Acts 15, we should not make it difficult for you to be a part of the house. We should make the door wide open there's no code word. There's no dress code. There's no like little like, hey, what's going uh Clam chowder, white or red? Red, you're well, uh, welcome. Come on in, you know what I'm saying? Um, okay, now you got to do the dance for Mission Church. What's the dance? This right here. Okay, Boom, okay, yeah, okay you're allowed you're in the group. There are none of those things. What we try to do at Mission Church is we try to open the door really, really big and say, anybody can play in this house. Go ahead, plant yourself. You want to be in a small group? You can be in a small group. You want to be on a team and serve? You can can serve on a team. You want to lead worship? Sorry, that's not actually for everybody. But still, you can lead worship worship from the crowd. You know what I'm saying? We got got strategic worship leaders placed in the crowd right now. We don't give them a microphone. I'm one of them, by the way. I can't be on the way. But if you want to serve, you can serve here. So, So we're always asking ourselves, how do we open the doors so you can plant? And here's the reality. Never before has this message been more important. What a hyperbolic statement, I'll prove it to you. We are in what the America's uh, studies are showing, uh, loneliness crisis. And this was happening before COVID. Remember it was happening? It was, it was uh, statistically 40% of Americans uh, were lonely before COVID. And that's a lot when you think about social media, you think about everybody's moved to uh, condensed areas, so you're around hundreds of thousands of people, but you're still lonely. That's gotta make you feel weird. Because reality is, is that community is only a God thing, it's not a world thing. Yeah. The, the community is something that God is and it's who he is and therefore that's what the church reflects and God breathes on community. There ain't nothing like a real God community. Yeah. There ain't nothing like a real church community it cannot be beat. And so anyways, we, we have a loneliness crisis. Well, then the pandemic hit, COVID hit, and they started this thing called isolation and social distancing. And again, I, I think that there's wisdom in what we did in the very beginning. I thought I was like, I was on board, all that kind of stuff. I just didn't like the term social distancing. Maybe physical distancing, but not social distancing because reality is, is that it skyrocketed to 60%. Because if I could just submit this to you, we are more than immune systems. Now, I, I, I respect what's going on right now. I, I'm not licking doorknobs. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay healthy and, and I'm not trying to um, be a part of the problem, trying to be a part of the solution. But what I do know is that if I just took care of my immune system and not my soul and not my being, man, I'd be crick. And so at this church, we're gonna value community. Does that sound good? I'm gonna pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church and this message on community. God, I believe that, that there's nothing that reflects your goodness than the church community. Lord, when we're operating in unity, you prayed for the house of God. You prayed for the church that we would be unified. Well, Lord, may this be a unified church. And he's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a unified church. So Lord, we love you. I give you this message. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. Everybody said? All right, so we're gonna look at the what, the why, the how. So um, the why is, why is community so hard? Let's be honest, community is hard. It's super hard. You wanna know why? Because you're in it, okay? (laughs) Yeah, real talk. (laughs) I just said it. You're like, me? No. Yes, you. You. (laughs) Yeah. Also me. Okay. That's why, why is community so hard? We're going to look at that. Uh, What does the Bible say about community? I think whenever you're trying to define anything, don't go anywhere except the Bible. The Bible is what literally will show you what what the purpose of it is, the promise of it is. So what does the Bible say about community? And last but not least, how does this play out in real life? Like, how are we going to play this out? Like, how am I supposed to live this out? So the first one is, why is community so hard? First one is this. I simply uh, would submit it to you is culture doesn't value community. Just like I told you, even during the pandemic, culture's not valuing community. like, no, no, just isolate. And then again, everything bad went up during COVID. Suicides, depression, divorces, alcoholism, abuse. Uh, I heard a theology say this way, you isolate yourself, you devastate yourself. Everything bad went up when we isolated ourselves. And so culture doesn't value it. I would even submit to you, Hollywood doesn't value it. Uh, Tell me your top three buddy flicks. Like top three ones are just about friends. You're not gonna find them, okay? Uh, you're gonna find uh, amazing chick flicks, you know. Uh, before I was married, uh, Notebook was my favorite chick flick of all time. Anybody love Notebook? Oh, I love it! I loved it so much. I bought the special edition DVD case with the wedding invitations. With, uh, yeah, yeah, don't judge me. I, that's how much I loved it. Um, and so, like, I remember I'd watch, uh, I'd watch Notebook. And this is just what happens when you watch a movie, especially those ones when you know I'm younger. I was like, I just can't wait to find my bird. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. Oh, I want to find my bird. Found my, found my birdie. You're my birdie. Yeah, yeah. So I remember like, oh. And then, you know, I remember watching like Sweet Home Alabama. That was in my top three, you know. And then you're like, yeah, come on now. Yeah, let's go. Uh, and Sweet Home Alabama was like, you know, this movie like where like she left and he like, he made a great life for himself. And, and, and then, you know, she's like, why do you want to marry me anyway? He's like, so I'd kiss you anytime I want. You know, I was like, oh, can't can't wait to get married and just kiss my wife anytime I want to. <laughs> I'd like that's how I'd feel after those movies, just being honest, okay? I don't remember one movie ever growing up watching a movie going like this. I can't wait to make friends. <laughs> I gonna be at the end of a movie like, oh, friends are great. You don't watch a movie, oh, I just can't wait to make a buddy. You're like, you don't, that never happens in movies, okay? There's one movie that was made that is, celebrates friendship, but Hollywood tried to jack that even. Lord of the Rings, any Lord of the Rings fans? J.R. Tolkien writes one of the greatest books of all time. We know this, there's three. And the story of Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, I like our church. Um, it's about friendship. That's what the story's about. And J.R. Tolkien's purpose was to show us that we cannot carry things on our own, that we cannot get to where we need to get to by ourselves. That's the story of Lord of the Rings. But Hollywood was like, you know what? We need a love story, and we need it to be just as big in the movie. So I, we need Strider and the elf girl. I forget the elf girl's name. you remember that? Arwen. Arwen, thank you. Arwen, uh, we have some fans over here. Um, uh, Arwen, uh, um, House of Elf, uh, yes. Okay, so Arwen and Strider, we need that to be a bigger part of the story, and she's gonna give up her elfship, which uh, she'd rather have one life with him than a thousand lives without him. And it's a great part of the movie, but really it's not supposed to be a big part of the story. You're supposed to read Lord of the Rings and go, man, I need friendship. Man, I need people to journey with me because I can't carry this stuff on my own but culture doesn't sell that to you. They even try to almost distract you from it because then you watch Lord of the Rings, you're even like, oh, I, wanna, I, want, I wish there was an elf that would leave her whole elf ship and find me. <laughs> Let's keep going. I don't know what that means. Uh, next thing is uh, culture has tricked us. It's tricked us. It's, it's sold us uh, pseudo-community. M. Scott Peck in the 70s, a famous Christian psychologist, wrote a book, The Road Less Traveled, very famous book on community, but he basically talks about pseudo-community. Pseudo-community is surface-level community. And that's okay to start there, but you shouldn't live there. But our culture now, that's what they sell, live, and operate in, is just pseudo-community. And so pseudo-community would be, I mean, we, we, we start communities around everything now. I mean, I meet people sometimes like, hey, uh, then we start talking like, oh yeah, I'm part of the reptile community, or what? Like, yeah, I, you, know, you don't know about it, right? And then they'll tell you, like they'll, they'll speak in the authority of the reptile community. Well, the reason why you believe that is because you don't understand that snakes and lizards, I'm like, I don't care, I don't care. But they're in a reptile community. They give them a card, they meet once a year at a convention, and they're in the reptile community. Then there's a the sport community. Any sport fans in the house? Come on, yeah, come on, my people. Um, so like, uh, you go to a sporting event, and so you're in a stadium, let's say a Niners stadium, 60,000 fans, and you all have one thing in common in that room. You love the Niners, and you hate the Seahawks. <laughs> Seahawks, I don't know, it's cool. And what happens in those things is you feel like you're experiencing something with those people. The game goes on, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter comes around, it's a tie game, and the Niners, you know, Trey Lance throws a winning touchdown. Jimmy is not lasting the whole season, I guarantee it, anyways. Um, <laughs> Trey Lance throws the winning touchdown, game over. The whole stadium erupts. (gasps) I've been in stadiums where I'm hugging people I don't even know. You know, like, man, I can't believe this happened. You're like, who are you? Just get over here, you know, go Seahawks. And you're hugging people. But that pseudo community is doing nothing for your soul. You know, I, 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 I read one of my articles about pseudo community is that people's hearts, when they're in those areas, that some of them are crying out, my life is imploding, but the Niners are winning, you know. My marriage is not, it's not doing good. And people are like, you don't talk, we don't talk about that at the Niners games, okay? (laughs) Can you imagine Niners, you know, it's halftime. You're like, hey man, you know, me and the wife, we were just doing terrible. Bro, what are you doing right now? It's halftime, but this is not where we talk about it. And so what happens in pseudo community is, it's it's the one thing that's offered and nothing more, nothing less. M. Scott Peck says community has three phases. Pseudo community, start there. Second one is chaos community. Chaos community is... Real community. You bring your junk, I bring my junk, we start living life. Community builds you, but it also exposes you. I remember one of my mentors told me, hey, don't gauge your um, employees' character off when you say yes to them. Gauge their character when you give them a no. See how they respond when they get a no. And what happens when you start living with people in community is like when something doesn't go your way in the community, how you respond exposes you. And then it becomes chaos. And then you, you go through something explosive and the community sees it. And this is what we call chaos community. And it, what chaos community is supposed to graduate to is a true community, where you have true redemption and a true story and true friends, because you don't know who true friends are until you go through chaos with them. Yeah. Now, just check this out real quick. You go through chaos, offenses, painful times, and they stand by you, yeah. Ooh, that's true community. Yeah. You say, oh, you don't know, I, they, they know everything about me and they still like me. <laughs> they let me stay. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing when you can come to a house and say, you know me and you still love me. This is our heart's desire, and the only way that happens is through real community. And that's God's prayer for the church. So culture has tricked us just to have pseudo-community. Third thing is simply this, is uh, the enemy is warring against it. The enemy hates community. If you know anything about the Trinity, uh, Genesis Revelation, you'll see this theme of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. uh, Three gods in one. Uh, It's a perfect relational community of uh, of them just hanging out and glorifying each other. Before the world was created, community was already happening. So your career is gonna be gone. Community is gonna gonna be here forever. Nice cars are gonna be gone, but community will be here forever. So community has been around forever. So the enemy hates community because community reflects the greatness of God reflects the, the beauty of God. I mean, I love what Jesus says even in, in, in the Gospel of John. He goes, oh, I can't wait for us to be back together and just glorifying each other. C.S. Lewis says it this way, that all three uh, of them are just basically doing this beautiful dance of glorifying each other, and it's this beautiful thing. That's what community is. That's what marriage should look like. That's what relationship should look like, and that's what the church should look like. A beautiful dance of all of us. Nobody fighting for credit. Nobody fighting to be praised. But all of us just like, no, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, you're great. No, you're great. Hey, I forgive you. No, I forgive you. And it's this beautiful dance of everybody serving and loving each other. Woo, what a picture. So the enemy hates that. He never wants that to happen. So he wars against it. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, the enemy has a weapon that he loves to use. It's his top weapon. The top of the top in his, in his arsenal. He'll go over there and he'll pull it off the wall. And this weapon is simply this: it's called lies. John A says that he's the father of lies. And there's three lies that this weapon has done uh, u- been used against the church that hold people back from a community. Here's the first one: you ready? Pride. Then he will just lie to you. Hey, you don't need anybody. You don't. You don't need them. You're fine by yourself and just whisper lies to you. The Bible says he'll whisper lies to you. Uh, culture, he'll even use culture. You don't need that. Like, like, think about uh, this term that we have in America, self-made millionaire. Self-made, we, we celebrate self-made millionaires. Hey, you can be self-made, you don't want anybody to help you. So, so, so pride is uh, one of the weapons that the enemy uses to keep you from community, he sells you the lie of pride. Another lie he sells you is protection. Hey, you remember when you tried community a handful of years ago? You got hurt. Don't do it again, you'll get hurt even worse. Don't do it again, you'll get hurt again. So they sell you self-protection. You shouldn't be in community because if you get in community, somebody will hurt you again. I think C- uh, C.S. Lewis has the best quote on self-protection. He says this, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be, certainly be wrong." and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to the tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and prodigiations of love is hell. I don't know what that word is. I try to uh, Google it. It's a big word. It starts with a P. Um, so C.S. Lewis, I love what he says. He goes, hey, you want to have self-protection? Take your heart, lock it up, and it's going to destroy you. You're going to become a hard person. You're not going to become a soft person. You're going to become the worst version of yourself instead of the best version of yourself. And last but not least, another lie the enemy sells uh, is simply this, shame. I don't know how many people I've heard in churches, I don't think anybody wants me at church. Nobody wants me in a small group. This, 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 this shame lie where you're not wanted and you're not missed if you're gone. And the reality is, is that's just a lie from the enemy, but, but the enemy uses it. I'll never forget, it. I was greeting at a church I used to work at, and this lady uh, for three straight weeks, I didn't know, but I didn't say hi to her. I was, just, I, I was a greeter, just high-fiving everybody. And she's walking out of service and she's like, Pastor Tyler, you don't say hi to me anymore. I was like, bear, bear, bear. and I was like, I was like, okay, okay. I remember like, I'll be right back. I got in I'm like, what's going on? I told her, like, you don't even care if I'm at church anymore. None of the pastors care. I was like, I just need one hi from one of the pastors. And you didn't say hi. You guys don't care if I'm here. And I was like, dang, that is a lot of responsibility. You know, so the following week at church, I will say this, like, hi, 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 bye, bye, miss you, miss you, love you. And no, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I remember someone like, oh, I was like, oh we, we love that you're here. I was, like, uh, I was like, if a little kid comes up for high five and you walk by during that moment, it's the only reason why I wouldn't say hi, you're the best. Like, we're so glad you're part of this community. And it made me go, man, so many people have so much baggage from parents, from friends portraying them, to where the church really is working uphill. To so where, like, when we say yes to community, the enemy will use shame because they're like, "Okay, I'll say yes to community," and then you miss a small group and nobody texts you. You're like, "They don't care if I'm not there." Oh, don't let shame, don't let the lies of the enemy hold you back from community. You are wanted here. You are valued here, man. We want you to be a part of this. Come on. So that's that's why it's so hard. Um, next one is this, is why does the, uh, why, what does the Bible say about community? Uh, I found this fascinating. This is something I learned this week in my studies is throughout the Bible, you know, God's addressing sin all the time, trying to redeem us from it, protect us from it. But do you know the first thing he addresses with mankind is solitude, not sin. I, I wrote down this quote. The first thing God addresses in the Bible is not our sin, but our solitude. Adam is created and he's in the garden. He's sinless at this moment, but God says it's not good that he's alone. And so he creates Eve, helper, and they have community for the first time, friendship, relationship. And I, I, I wrote this down. This is from a theologian. Uh, I love what he says. He says, Adam didn't need relationship because he was imperfect. He needed relationship because he was perfect. So, so, so God is looking at Adam and saying, okay, I made you my image. This, is, this isn't my image. I, I, got, I got Jesus. I got the Holy Spirit. We got a community right here. You need to have community also. For you to reflect me, you can't be by yourself. The only way you reflect me is with people. And so I'm going to create people around you. I got to address your solitude right now. Some of you, God wants to address your solitude. For you to reflect his glory, for you to have the fulfillment of life. God doesn't even need to address your sin right now. Let's we'll t- toss that. He just need to address your solitude. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me double down on this. Um, Jesus teaches how to pray, our Lord. You'll see our everywhere. You never ever see I. I'll put it this way. Paul uses our Lord 53 times in the epistles, one time my Lord in the epistles. The Bible's way more communal than it is individual. Even when you talk about the verses like, he created us to be a masterpiece. It never says me to be a masterpiece. It says for us to be a masterpiece. I always used to read that verse like, "Oh, oh, I'm a masterpiece. No, no, he created us to be a masterpiece. This is the masterpiece. I'm not a masterpiece by myself. You're not a masterpiece by yourself. We're a masterpiece together. Let me, let, me, uh, let me keep going. Uh, Acts, uh, you'll see this in, in the book of Acts, the rhythm of the church. They would have temple worship, what we're doing on Sunday, and then they would have house-to-house uh, ministry, aka small groups throughout the week. So this is, this, we're doing what they were doing in Acts. This is amazing. Uh, the, the blueprint God gave the church was to meet in the synagogue, to meet together, gather, worship, lift up his name. There are things that happen in a service that can happen nowhere else. God does things in hearts and minds. He he shapes them. It's an amazing thing. But then throughout the week, there are things that can only happen in a small group and nowhere else. And so then people go into a small group. It's a a phenomenal thing. Now, John 13, uh, you'll see Jesus take uh, small groups to a next level. It's their last dinner. He wants to wash Peter's feet. Now, Peter's been around Jesus for three years. Uh, Jesus has been around him for three years. This is uh, towards the end of Jesus' life. He's 33 years old now. And he wants to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. And you're like, bro, like, why are you pushing back? Just let Jesus wash your feet. He's like, no, it's too dirty. It's too smelly. You cannot. I mean, I almost picture Peter being like, yo, yo, I got some stinky feet, Jesus. You got to stay away from these dogs. Okay. They, I got fungus. You know, I mean, it is nasty on them streets. Okay. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus, like, and there's an amazing verse in John 13. He says, if I don't bathe you, I cannot be a part of you. And what he's saying is, is that for us to have real relationship, for us to have real community, is I can't just be the God of your successes. I need to be the God of your dirtiness also. And so what, what happens is, is he lets Peter wash his feet. But if I can be honest with you, real community has to copy that that right there. Jesus is modeling something for us, is that we can't be a community only of your successes. We need to be community of your dirty also. Um, uh, John Wesley put it this way, so, so John Wesley took it so, uh, so ser- uh, took it so seriously that the Methodist movement, if you know who John Wesley is, he birthed the Methodist movement, it was a revival, it's an amazing thing, but their method, and the Methodist movement, method, was small groups, and they thought the only way small groups would work well is if you got to the dirty stuff also, that your small groups couldn't just be about your good days, but it had to be about the dirty things also. Throughout scripture, you'll see this, don't be led astray. Help each other to not stray away. Over and over again, help each other. Don't stray. Don't stray. The way that you don't stray is you stay planted in community. And so, uh, John Wesley actually created questions for small groups that you would ask in the small group to actually really have real relationship and have real questions. So there's, you know, there's 20 some questions. I I, I took seven. They've kind of evolved throughout time. But these are the questions. And can you imagine showing a small group and having these questions? You ready to have some? Some of you might take them this week and have your small groups. Yeah, go for it. Let me know how it goes. Actually, I'm, I'm going. All right. So here's a a question that you would ask at these small groups, ready? Have you been in a compromising situation this week? Anybody? You know, like sitting around there. Anybody been in a compromising situation this week? Okay, second question would be this. Uh, Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? How's the small group going so far? It's going good. (laughs) Having a great time. It's going great. You're like Brioche de Perry, you know? Um, Third one is, have you viewed any sexual explicit material? Anybody, you know? These are the questions they were asking in their small groups. Fourth one, um, have you spent time in prayer and your word? Or hang out with Jesus, are you valuing prayer? Number five, how are your priorities? God, family, church, are your priorities still intact? Number six, have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? Are you living out the calling of your life? And to be honest, some of these questions make us kind of squirm a little bit, but if you were getting asked this all the time by people you love, it would keep you on the mark. You'd be the best version, you'd be a cedar of Lebanon. You would smell good and look good. You would be a palm tree. I'm back, sucker. You know? I I fell down, but I came back up. And the last question, I love the last question. You ready for this? Have you just lied to me? Any compromising situations? Any sexual material? Any fun? No, no. Did you lie to me? Yes, all six of them. Yes, yes. But there's something to be said when Jesus said, if I don't bathe you, I cannot be a part of you. A real community is us knowing each other's mess and not being grossed out by it. Because if I'm being honest, the people act like they don't struggle with any of those seven, you freak me out. Because you do. You all messed up. I'm not okay. You're not okay. He loves us anyway. It's cheesy, but it's true. Okay? And the picture of the palm tree... If I if I could just be honest, the picture of the palm tree is, is some of you feel like, if somebody asked you the question, oh, did you look at anything you shouldn't look at this week? And if you said yes, you think you'd be done. But you know what would happen? You'd actually be the palm tree that says, I'm back. Yeah. So You're only as sick as your secrets. Yes. I, I, I have people in my life, at the end, you shouldn't share your secrets with everybody. Actually, be careful who you share them with. <laughs> but... But you need, you, you got to have people that know everything about you. You got to. If you're holding on, it's just, you're not supposed to hold on to stuff on your own. Last but not least, it says in Ecclesiastes 4 this is what the Bible says. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Ooh, he says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end in, in his toil. Uh, the, the Hebrew brother actually is friend. The translation just says brother, but it's, it's friend. Solomon is writing about himself in this moment, and he's saying he's king. He had, I don't know how many wives, like a 1,000 wives. There was a Solomon joke that I'm not going to share it with you, though. <laughs> do You want to you hear it? It's inappropriate. I heard one no. I'm not going to do it. Never mind, we're good. It's going to bother you. I'll share it. Why did Solomon have so many wives? He was hoping one would be in a good mood when he came home. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) It's a terrible joke. Rachel, Rachel. Tyler! (laughs) It was in my studies. Piece of of (laughs) word. I'm not saying I made the joke. I'm saying it was a bad joke that I came across this week. (laughs) Anyways, I got one wife. She's always in a good mood, shout out. (laughs) Except just now, Tyler! (laughs) So Solomon. Thousand wives, king, bunch of people, but he got no friends. And his wisdom, the wisest man on the planet goes, what's my life for if I don't have friends to share it with? He had wives, but he wasn't even friends with his wives. He had such a bad view on actually, he was so, so broken relationally. I wrote it down this way, I could summarize that verse. A life not lived for others is not a life lived at all. A life not lived with others is not a life lived at all. This is what the Bible shows us, that we have to have community. We, we got to value it. And last but not least is how does this play out in real life? How does this play out in real life? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Don't leave the church over my Solomon joke. I'm sorry. I feel bad. It's in the back of my brain, like, you shouldn't have said that. Um, if you are upset, let's have real community, and you can come up and forgive me, and we have a real conversation, and then you know the true me, and you still love me, okay? I think I handled that well. I bounced back. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Every, like, there's some people who hate big church. I, I don't know why people hate big church. Like, the more the merrier. Like, the, like, all of us do a little, we can actually do a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like two are better than one. Like, like, the more hands we've got in the house, like, the better we can impact the, the community. I I, I think... Just uh, bad church is bad church. It can be small, it can be big, it can be medium. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to add another service to unloving Christians. That's what we're going to do here. But if God keeps bringing people to the house and we have great community, hey man, more the merrier, am I right? Um, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm? Uh, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's just a famous verse. Uh, Just give you a heads up, that's not a marriage verse. It's It's read a lot of weddings, but it's not a wedding verse. It's a community verse. Do you know 1 Corinthians 13 is not a wedding verse? It's a community verse. Love is patient, love is kind. It's about the church community. Uh, really what this is trying to show us is that if you actually want to live life and you want to live it well, you got to have people who got your back. So if I'm this way, I got somebody to watch my back this way. And a third person's even better because then they can watch the whole room for you. They can guard you. They can show your blind spots. It's an amazing gift. Some of you reason why you don't think, uh, uh, you need to be that to somebody or you don't need it for yourself is I'll use Moses for example. Moses, uh, God used him to split the Red Sea. Moses and his staff split the Red Sea. But then there's this moment in Exodus 17 where Moses is so tired from holding his hands up that he needs two people to hold his hands up for victory. And some of you go, that person doesn't even help. I've seen them split Red Seas before. They're, they're a Red Sea Christian. They're, they're, they're one of them Christians. They're one of them people. Like They're so amazing. They don't need me. No, that Red Sea Christian, they still need you. Yeah. Trust me, they, they maybe did some great things on their own, but they're going to need you in a moment in their life where they can you help hold me up a little bit. Some of you are Red Sea Christians, and you see yourself, I, well, I've done everything else great. I split a Red Sea on my own. I don't need other people to help me hold my arms up. You're going to need people to hold your arms up. In the, in the uh, storyline of your life, you're going to need people. So what I want to do is I want to finish with five types of people that you need in your life so you can finish the race well. Uh, and there's so many stats on the church. One in 10 pastors finish. You know, over um, 4,000 churches are birthed every year, but 7,000 are closing, so 3,000 less churches. And so I hear all these stats all the time, and there's so many different ones to trust or believe. But so sometimes it's one in 10 pastors are, are not finishing. Seven out of 10 want to leave right now. It's just a high number. I don't know what it is, but it's a high number. They found a correlation of the ones that are leaving. You ready? They're isolated. The one in 10, the one that finishes in the 10 has a great community around them. Mentors, fathers. I, I want to I share the five people that you need in your life if you want to finish the race. You, you, you need these type of people in your life. And not only that, can I put it this way? You need to be this to people in life. Does that sound good? All right, so first one you need is you need people who will refresh you, people who refresh you. Second Timothy 1 says this, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including uh, Figulus and Hermesius. I can't say the names, I'm sorry. I, um, there's a reason why nobody's named that anymore. Am I, am I right? Um, <laughs> Paul's still around, Peter's still around, but those aren't around. Okay, Uh, may the Lord show mercy to the household of uh, Oniphorus, also not not another name that's around, uh, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. I thought it's interesting, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, but there's one person who was seeking out to refresh me. Man, we need to have people in our life that seek us out to refresh us. I'm going to be honest, in church, I don't have a lot of people seeking me out to refresh me. I got people seeking out to critique and to give me ideas. And I'm not against that, but you need people that will seek and refresh you and you need to see yourself as a refresher of people. Um, COVID for uh, Rachel and I, it was a hard year and a half year and four months. It was not easy. Um, the first two years of Mission Church, it was like wind at the sails. It was like we, we planted the church, and our first Sunday, we had no idea who was going to come. We had like, you know, a, a small team that we birthed with. We sent out mailers. People I'd never met before came to our church, and they're the best people. I still, like, I can't believe these people found our church, and I just, the best people. So we had a ton of people come to our launch, and, and then the church just kept growing, and Easter, I mean, we're like, it was exploding. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? You know, and then we go to Los Lomas. We had to go three services. The first two years was like, ah, they got breathing on it. COVID happened. I felt like the enemy was just going like this. I mean, I felt like I was just taking it on the chin. You know, people who I never thought were going to leave our church call me and I say they're leaving and, and people are leaving for, you know, so many reasons. We're not masked enough or we're too masky or too whatever. It's just like, it was, it was just painful. And I, I had one of those days where I got a call from somebody I never thought was gonna leave and it just hurt. It hurt a lot. I told Rachel, and it, it, you could tell it hurt Rachel. Right when I told her, it bothered both of us. We just felt so vulnerable. And a, you get a call from somebody like, is everybody just done? Everybody just, you know, just, you just feel terrible. And I remember I, I went and hung out with my mentor, one of my mentors the next day and I told him what was going on and he looked at me and goes, Tyler, you're a great pastor. You pastor a great church. Every great church takes it on the chin once in a while. You're gonna bounce back. And I remember being like, We are a great church. I'm a great pastor. And we're bouncing back! You know? And I was like, it was, No, if you, if you could have been there, I was like, I was like fired up. And I was like, And that person, take a hike! I was like, Whoa, too far, too far, too far. You know, you're gonna be missing out now, buddy, you know? Um, you're not supposed to go to that part, but maybe I did. All right? The first part was holy. The second part wasn't. God worked on it. But there's something about when you're going through a time when you feel like everybody is done with you and you realize, no, no, no. I'm here to refresh you. God still has more. God's not done with you. There are great days ahead. Man, you need people who, need, who, who, who can refresh you. Oh, it's so important. Uh, you need people who will risk it with you. Romans 16. Uh, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. If I'm being honest, that's what you guys are to Rachel and I. You're risking with us. Do you know it's not popular to be a Christian in the Bay Area? You, anything else, it's pretty good. But if you're like, if you literally tell, I'm a Christian. The majority of people, go do it at Whole Foods today. See what happens. <laughs> see how people are like, oh my gosh, me too. I love, I love Jesus. You're going to see people like, oh, you're one of them, huh? Okay. There has been such a bad I, I, I believe this, a, a strategic move by the enemy to portray Christianity as something that's completely not. Judgmental, uh, uh, exclusive, uh, shaming, all these things that's not of God. And so Christianity is not popular in the Bay Area. You're risking with us every time you invite somebody. You're risking with us every time you're serving. You're risking with us. And, and that's what you need to build something great. Let's keep going. People who, uh, who will encourage you. Uh, Acts 11 says this. When the church of Jer- at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged. Everybody say encouraged. encouraged. He encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Stop. Did you know Barnabas actually had a name before that? His name was Joseph. But he was such an encourager. like We can't call you Joseph anymore. We need to call you Barnabas, which means encourager. Like, he was that kind of encourager. And now, if I could just submit to you, uh, when people hear your name, what do they think? Because when they heard the name Joseph, they're like, I don't hear Joseph, I hear Barnabas. When I hear the name Joseph, I hear encourager. I can't even say Joseph anymore, I gotta call you Barnabas, because that's who you are, you're just an encourager. Now, uh, uh, my buddy Drew, uh, he has twins, they're about to be three, and so every, like, few months, I'll always ask, like, hey, so what's their personalities like? Tell me what they're like in a sentence or three words. You know, and so uh, you know when we first started, I was there, like, "So, so what's what's Addie like?" You know, it was like the first six months, he's like, "Oh, she's attitude," you know, like like her name's Addie, so she's she's got attitude, you know. I mean, she just she is in charge. We are. She thinks she's the boss, you know. I was like, "Oh wow," you know, "What's what's Justice like?" Man, the kid just likes to sleep. He's chill. He's the most laid-back cat on the planet. So it was like the first year, and then like you know year two, I, I remember saying, like, "So what's Justice like now?" Year two, give me uh, give me a, a sentence or three words, and he'd be like, "Man, Justice is a butthead right now, to be honest. He's a big old butt." He's like, he's yelling at everything. He's just, he flips out all the time. He's just he's not very enjoyable right now, you know? And you know, then I asked about Addy. And so I literally just asked Drew this this week. I was like, because there are gonna be three soon. And I said, so what they're like now? He goes, man, Jess is just total boy. He's playing the dirt sports. He wrestles all the time, you know, he's "rah." And I said, what about Addie? What's Addie like? He says, you know, so they got a boy and a girl. Addie's the daughter. And he goes, Addie is all about princesses right now. She wears a Disney princess outfit to preschool every day you know, Belle, I mean, you name it. And he goes, we had to cut her down to three times a week because it was getting weird, you know? <laughs> and he just tell me about their kids. I, th- I thought it was just adorable. And as I was preparing my message, I thought about it. I was like, man, like, I feel like I've had phases in my life you asked, who is Tyler at 25? He's self-centered. He's all about himself. Uh, if you hurt his feelings, he cuts you off and never talks to you again. If that was me at 25. If you hurt me at 25, you were dead to me. That was how I would protect myself. But now I'm 39, and I'm praying and believing that when you hear my name, that you would hear, Manny's an encourager, Manny's kind, Manny's joyful. When I hear Tyler, I hear encourager. When I hear Tyler, I hear patient and and present. When people hear your name, what do they think? And that's throughout, you only have one name. And I I want those kind of people in my life, and not only that, we wanna be those kind of people in other people's lives. Does that sound good? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. It'll be done in about two minutes. Uh, fourth one's really quick. You need people who will soldier beside you. Soldier beside you. Philippians 2. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Fellow soldier. I don't know about you, but you need some people you can just call when you need, like, you gotta do some war. You know, like, yo, my kids are acting a fool. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not behaving. I need some intercessors. We pray with me today. You know, you need people like where you feel like you just took it on the chin and you feel like the enemy is warring everything at you, that people are there to intercede with you and just come over and just be with you and say, say not on my watch. Uh, the reality is, is that the there is practical things that are happening during this pandemic, but there's also spiritual warfare things happening in this pandemic. If you don't think the principalities, the Bible says there's principalities, literally demonic like princes of regions like, that are going to try to rule an area to like, literally create death, and then the church comes in and drives them out. And so the pandemic, the enemy wants to use it to take back ground from the church and create more darkness and more death. But the church in the midst of that is supposed to be soldiers and say, not on my watch, I get it, during the pandemic this happening, but I'm not gonna be the one that gets divided here. I'm not gonna be the one that throws stones here. I'm still gonna love here. And you need people to understand that it is a war, that there's a spiritual war going on for souls. And the way that we operate and pray and love, there has to be somewhat a soldier mentality and people who will war with you. And last but not least, you need loyal truth tellers in your life. You need people to tell you how it is. I love this story in 2 Samuel 12. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, if you know anything about the story of David, uh, David is uh, the most covered person in the Bible outside of Jesus. Jesus most covered. David's the second most covered. So we get to see all of David's life. We get to see his highs, and we get to see his lows. And one of his lowest moments in the Bible is uh, this story where he sees this gal named Bathsheba, and he sees her, and he calls for her, and he sleeps with her. And he tries to fix it in his own strength. So he tries to do all this manipulation with the, the, the husband come back, and it doesn't work out. So he just has the husband killed, and then he marries Bathsheba. And Nathan, a prophet, comes to David and shares a story with him. And now again, David could have anything. David had wives and concubines. I mean, he had he had it all. Uriah had one wife, Bathsheba. That was it. And so it bothered Nathan knew that that's not who David is that's not how David what, what happened to David David had a weak moment but he didn't see it He did not understand how how he was uh perverting his authority and so Nathan shares a story about these two guys one who had a lot of sheep and then this other guy who only had one sheep and they were going to have a dinner and the guy with a lot of sheep basically said we're going to we, he steals his sheep takes his sheep and kills his sheep and basically basically takes away and not only the sheep that he takes from the guy that has one but he talks about how this guy loved his sheep and cared for sheep and, and so basically um uh as as david hears the story he goes oh that's not okay with me we should kill that guy and then nathan's like that guy is you and he's like oh okay hold on a second well well that's interesting well, yeah, okay, okay hold on back and back up the train nathan i talk crazy sometimes about killing that guy um And the reality is, is uh, they do studies that the average person has seven blind spots. Seven blind spots. AKA, you're gonna have things in your life that you won't see that are holding you back and that are hurting other people. And you need loyal truth tellers to tell you, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but this last season, you've gotten really bitter. I don't know if you knew this, but whenever you get challenged, you just shut down and you walk away. I don't know if you knew this, but when you aren't in charge, you quit and you go do your own thing. I don't know if you know this, but, but you don't know how to follow well. You don't follow well. Like, you, you only know how to do your own thing. You need loyal truth tellers in your life. I got them in my life. It's called my wife. She's a straight shooter. Um, I, uh, I just want to finish with this thought and then I'm going to pray. I think that we have a, an amazing opportunity, Mission Church. If you're watching online and you're not back yet, we love you and we understand that there's health stuff still going on. I think that after this pandemic, I think that community is gonna be so desired, but not just any community, but real community. And people wanna be wanted. People don't want a friendly church, they want friendship. And so man, let's be that church this next season. We got small groups coming up again. You know, even after church, invite somebody to lunch. I'm gonna be honest, they're not all good lunches. You know, you invite somebody to lunch, like, man, this was weird. Invite somebody else, oh, this was a good one. All right? Just persevere through the weird lunches to the good lunches. Does that sound good? But man, let's be a church of community. Does that sound good? Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if your first time or second time, but if you never said yes to Jesus, the gospel's, oh, it's so good. But Jesus came and died and literally says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the life the enemy had intended for you, saved to the life God did intend for you, an abundant life. Saved from hell to heaven, from cursing to blessing. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand and catch my one I want to pray for you. I want to say yes to salvation. Go ahead and raise it higher real quick. I want to see you if you want to say yes to Jesus. God, I see you. Great decision. God's doing in your heart. You're, you, got, you felt like God was tugging on your heart. I see you. That's a great decision. God, I pray for the ones that raise their hands. I'll never forget raising my hand in church as a 16 year old, and it changed my life forever. God, you're a life changer. Oh, you change our life for the better. And so, Lord, we pray for the ones that said yes to you today in the 9 and 11 o'clock service, and may you send great people around them to cheer them on. May they have people around them to refresh them and encourage them. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast.